We're at the end of the island, brought to you by Junior Rowing News and Philippe. Ready for rhythm in two, in one, rhythm now! Hello everyone, welcome back to the End of the Island podcast with me, Fergus Mainland, and delighted as always to be joined by Tom, Ed and Camilla this evening. We finally got some racing to discuss. Rutherford Head is taking place up in Newcastle, blooming cold Rutherford Head. There was snow on the ground, falling from the air and all sorts, but some good racing out on the water. And we'll come on to that in more detail in a couple of minutes time. But before we get into this week's conversation, a reminder, we are sponsored by Felipe, who are, of course, one of the most instantly recognisable boat brands in the world. Since their inception in 1980, they've carried crews to over 400 medals at world championship and Olympic level and have a network of dealers across the globe. They pride themselves on an ability to custom create shells of the highest specification suitable for Olympic champions and novice athletes. Today, the running of the boatyard is undertaken by David Felipe. The yard employs 60 technicians and produce just over 1,100 boats each year, supplying federations worldwide. You can head to philippeboats.com to learn about what they can do for you. But as I said, there's not been a huge amount of racing taking place in the UK over the past couple of weeks. We've had the weather gods playing all sorts of chaos. We've had rain, we've had high tides, we've had fast streams, all sorts. But finally, Rutherford Head was able to take place this weekend. The annual showdown that saw some of the top universities, Newcastle, Durham, Edinburgh, they were joined as well by the likes of Nottingham, Glasgow made the trip. Molesy as well came up to finally get some racing as well. And... The first point that I am delighted to say was it was an unbelievable weekend for Newcastle. Uh, winning uh, men's eights in Division 1, they came second in women's eights behind Molesy in Division 2. But the fastest university uh, crew, meaning they beat Durham in both the men's and the women's eights and across the board. So Camilla, great weekend for Newcastle, but not so good for Durham for the first outing of the season at Rutherford. Yeah, no, it's come back around, hasn't it, Fergus? Time and time again, <laughs> we have this where it, it flips uh, every so often. But no, I think, yeah, Rutherford's obviously a really good first marker for a lot of the universities, particularly, especially that northern powerhouse that we talk about, Edinburgh, Newcastle, Durham. Um, and cold but glorious conditions, it seemed, like pan flat, some of the nicest conditions I've ever seen up on the Tyne. So uh, you're very lucky to get to race it, Ferg. Um, but yeah, I think good to see Molesy up there. Sam Tuck obviously taking over the head coach ship at Molesy, uh, keeping tradition where he used to bring Surrey Uni up um, and now bringing Molesy up as well to race on what I think is one of the best pieces of water in the UK. But um, yeah, good to see that there's more momentum growing, some new names, like you say. I think Glasgow have maybe made the trip a few times, but the likes of Nottingham, um, great to see them sort of bursting back uh, onto the scene and yeah I'm sure more to come but um, very early doors I think uh, we need to remember plenty of time until Bucks uh, in February and uh, yeah and let's hope for the same kind of beautiful flat conditions in that weekend in February. And I think Ed I think what it can tell us is that people are people are desperate to race there's been a lot of stuff that's still been going on in Scotland um, Inverness Head in particular they've all been able to race get up stuff has been taking place on the Clyde but I think what we can see is crews have traveled from so far I mean Aberdeen schools have come down Glasgow Uni have come down but then the same like we've just said Molesy from London crews are desperate to race because we've had nothing on over the past few weeks or so have we it's it's really difficult for 
crews who perhaps they sit down in September and they look at their racing calendar and they go, guys, we've got two, we've got two big races between now and Christmas. Like it's a long stretch, it's a hard stretch. We've got these races, and they come around and the Wednesday before they're quite unceremoniously dropped off on Twitter, and that's the end of that. And actually having the opportunity to go away properly for some of those clubs that are lower down in the country to go away properly to go up to race to get on some water that perhaps they're not as used to and is more exciting i think is a really good thing so i think i was delighted that rutherford went ahead i hope that after we swing around into next year we have less cancellations and the title events able to go ahead as well but yeah focus to your original point it's a real shame to see so much cancelled um the fact that Scotland's been able to continue perhaps speaks to their slightly hardier nature. Um, but it opens up perhaps, you know, what should we be doing? What we know this is a risk now every time we come into into head season. What should we be doing to try and mitigate that risk and sort of foresee that these events are gonna get cancelled? Are there things we can do to try and put things in place? I guess a question for the for the group. Are there things that we can do to prevent or make up for it? I'm not sure you can like really mitigate the weather. I think if, <laughs> like, if, there's, if there's flooding, there's flooding, right? I think alternative destinations or we try and embrace more indoor racing, right? I mean, we've just looked or Jaren have just partnered up with, with EXR, who obviously are one of the leaders in virtual indoor rowing and they're creating more and more of a community. And those, they're not the only player out there doing it, but I, I like what they're trying to do because they're creating a community from an indoor rowing perspective that's not existed in rowing before. I think rowing has always been quite heavily divided between everybody who loves to be on the water and everyone hates to be on the erg. And more and more, I think we need to address that balance and maybe the cancellations we've had during the winter and we'll probably continue to have until Easter time because we just have really unpredictable uh, climate and weather here in the UK. Maybe we need to start thinking about setting up more indoor rowing tournaments, more indoor rowing challenges, more ways for people to engage and you know, interact and to race together or race against each other in an indoor format, because you're never going to get one of those cancelled. Like, you know this better than I do, Fergus. Brick is not going to be cancelled on Saturday, whenever it is, unless there's a lack of entries or whatever, but the weather will not play a part. So that at least is a fallback when outdoor rowing can't happen. Yeah, massively. It's going ahead next weekend. I, I Somehow, all of a sudden, I'm back. I'm doing loads of racing. Racing at Rutherford. I'm racing at Brick next weekend. Racing 500 metres against Phil Clapp. That'll be a great showdown. One for the ages, don't, that one. Don't call it a comeback. Just don't call it no, a comeback. No, we're not. We're actually not doing that at all. Unless, of course, the, there's, if I can get out and race ahead of the Charles or something next year, then the comeback is well and truly on. But I think you're you're spot on. I think, I think with... With indoor rowing, there's so many opportunities. We saw the whole world adapted during COVID. Everything went virtually and we were able to race people all over the world against one another. Uh, People getting up early in the morning in Australia and New Zealand to come and race people uh, in the United States or in the UK. And that just showed, I think, what else can be done. And I don't think the the entire winter calendar is dictated by these head races. And as soon as you have one or two of them, Ed, as you said, cancelled, gone, crews crews won't race much during the winter. And particularly for junior crews, uh, it's all about getting them out on the water. It's getting them racing. It's about all of the fun part of the sport. And if you, as soon as you take away those two or three races, it's, well, what's next? Because now all of a sudden, a lot of these crews 
are staring down the barrel of are they actually going to get any racing done before Christmas? We've got we'll come on and we might touch on it briefly, but we've got Remnum Remnum Challenge Head is coming up next weekend for all of the clubs who are part of Remnum clubs. So a lot of the Tyree clubs, Twickenham, Molesey, Thames, Vesta, London, that lot are all going to be racing. None of them know how fast each other are because we haven't had anything. Forshead was going to be the first opportunity for that. We haven't had it. We know that Molesey's women are going well at the moment. They went up, won Rutherford Head, stormed to victory there. So they're going well at the moment. We haven't got a clue um, what state anyone else is in. And, I mean, we've got, there was some, we've got some of the, because everything's so secretive and we no one sort of shares scores or anything like that, and, and every, it's all behind our closed doors until we come out and race, then... We haven't got a clue what's going on actually in the season, which makes it very hard, Camilla, as you alluded to earlier, to actually start to spin a narrative and start to start to talk about something that's coming going to be coming down the line later on in the season. Do you, do you think that rowing coaches actually like that? I think rowing coaches are pretty secretive at the best of times. Do you think a lot of coaches don't actually mind not doing a lot of racing? They'd rather have their athletes and their squads churning out the miles on the erg or lifting the weights or whatever it is and no one else is really aware of how fast they're going i i bet you that there are coaches more than one in the uk who are thinking brilliant the less racing the better i ideally i don't want to put my boys and girls out until bucks or national schools or henley and i only put them out because i feel like i partly need to to like you know satisfy the athletes and ensure there's not attrition from the squad and also because it's good to have some sense of where we are. But I think a lot of coaches think the less racing, the better. I think it's a real, you've got to strike the balance just right. Because like you say, I think motivation for people just continuing to churn out miles and miles and miles for six months of the year in the cold and the wet and the dark with no racing, nothing to like kind of draw them in to, well, this is what we've been working towards, breaking it down into smaller chunks. Um, I think that, I think it'd be difficult um, but I think you're right from a coach's perspective maybe that's preferred but then also I think like racing every weekend you know it, it doesn't really achieve too much right like I think um, I'm just trying to think of like some examples but yeah I think when there's too much racing and there's not enough time for training like the results almost become pointless right because you're just kind of rehashing the same thing over and over again and the same, almost identical formats and then the athletes don't get the chance to rest recover but actually put in the miles that they need to so yeah I don't know I think that I think maybe like you've got to pick your battles very closely and Tom I agree I think that most crews especially club and university will be aiming towards like the head let's say for instance whether that's the men's or the women's head and if they don't get a race in the entire time on the run-ups that men's or women's head but they do get time out on the water because let's not forget right if races are getting cancelled training's probably not going to be that possible for crews either right so like yeah I think um if as long as they get the preparation that they need the racing kind of is by the by I think until that big race that kind of accumulates at the end of this block of the season but to your, to your point, Ferg, right, like, do, then do we need, like, alternatives coming, like, full circle in this conversation? Maybe we need something to keep people engaged in the sport because you, you're going to have people who are in this sport who are religiously devoted to Henley and winning Henley, and they know they've got a really good chance of winning Henley. So they will cling on because the 
carrot that is winning Henley is so much more rewarding than the stick of having to train through the winter with minimal racing. But you will get a lot of athletes, I think, again, I'm speaking purely speculatively here, but you will get a lot of athletes who probably will be far more disenfranchised with the sport because they're not getting the chance to go out and do any racing. And if we don't have any alternative when a race gets cancelled, because it's very feasible that there are people, there'll be people who will not get to race they last raced in October because basically all the November events have been cancelled. They last raced in October and they will not get to race again till March. Like that is a prospect for probably quite a few athletes in the club scene, maybe the student scene, the junior scene. So is there some sort of alternative? Is there indoor events we can run? Is there some sort of like league we can run through the year for people to partake in? Like I'm just, again, speculating as we often do on this podcast. I'm all problems, no solutions. But like, is there something we can do to create other formats for people when racing does get cancelled i was just gonna add like do you know what i really enjoyed at the world indoors this year for the first time was the versa i thought it was an awesome like example of what you can do with indoor competition that's not just the 500 or the 2k like being able to sort of set out multiple challenges that aren't necessarily just kill yourself on the erg for 500 meters where it's like more about using some of the skills that you've learned through being whether that's a rower or a crossfitter and you gain different skills from kind of training through different avenues on the indoor rower but like some of them were to do with like precision of like keeping you know it it wasn't necessarily like particularly hard like power output but it was consistent and being able to stick to stroke rates and things like that that I think they're challenging and actually I think a lot of the I think to like some of the reasons why I enjoyed club rowing beyond university and like what kept me engaged in like turning up for training for like a women's eight that, you know, I'd kind of been and done my like individual stuff. Like I'd done the trialing, I'd done the hardcore stuff. And like, what is it that was keeping me engaged? And it was actually like more of the team sport element and being able to row in a boat with my friends, which like indoor rowing, I think is a very difficult mechanism to achieve that right because it's mostly like individual performance and if you're not the strongest it's like most people's worst nightmare right like go out onto the the floor at the the NEC or whatever it's called now in a week's time and go and row on a rowing machine in front of everyone else where everyone can see your score like I don't know whether that's the fun like maybe I'm speaking out of turn here but I don't know whether that's the fun for everyone and actually it's something slightly different that we need to come up with that allows for that team aspect and group aspects or like something that's novel and different and not just like how hard can you push for X amount of time? We probably need to like, we probably need to unpack the sport in its totality, like to achieve what you're describing, which is like, not just who can go from A to B the quickest, like regardless of how you row, why you row, like all of that is totally irrelevant provided you get to the finish first. That is the mantra of rowing, right? It's like whoever goes the quickest wins, doesn't matter what you look like, how you do it, what boat you do it in, it's irrelevant. So like you'd have to basically unpack or like un- rewire the sport to make it into more of a I don't know, versatile or like something that like caters for more than just who's the biggest, strongest person and they'll win, basically. And I think arguably, Tom, like that's why, because yes, as it's very, very, very basic, it is like who's fastest from A to B. Like you can't win a race if it's not a race, like it is ultimately a sport which requires us to race one another and be fast. So I guess you can't really get away from that if you're going to translate that purpose onto the indoor rowing machine. 
But there's so many variables to the outdoor element, whether that be the conditions, the setup, you know, the way that the coach coaches the crew, like you kind of adhere to it, right? Like the length of the race versus where you're racing, overtaking opportunities, side by side, the coxing, like there's there's so many ways that you can improve that. And yes, there are variables in indoor, right? It, it Technique, I guess, drag factor, but not as many and it's not quite the same. So yeah, how do you sort of, how do you translate that is is really difficult, I guess. Go back to the pandemic, go back to COVID. That was where we saw the adaptation. It's where we actually saw people, the innovation came and I think there's a huge amount more. I mean, you've you've mentioned Exo already, Tom, doing brilliant stuff, um, bringing, bringing actually sort of a, a Zwift into, in, into indoor rowing type of thing. And I think... I think there's a real opportunity to that. I mean, certainly with 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 the job that I'm now in, I think I think indoor rowing I think has a huge amount of potential because of. I mean, you touched on it being much more individual, but Camilla, but I actually think that there's a huge amount of community that can come with that. Uh, there's a whole community of indoor rowers out there at the moment, and so many people are currently using the rower that aren't actually associated with our sport at the moment, that we can connect to them a huge amount more, over a million and a half people using a rowing machine once a week. So a huge amount, I think, that can be done with them to to engage them and just to expand the sport out beyond the 30-odd thousand members that we have in the UK of who are predominantly just water-based people. So I think there's, there's opportunities and avenues that I think are certainly worth exploring. Um, that I think could be very lucrative and very financially beneficial for a sport that we know has struggled um, to to generate money and generate interest on a on a global sporting stage. So to look back right to the beginning of this conversation, Rutherford Head again, one of these we've actually got some results we can talk about. We talked about the success of Newcastle in the men's eight. Molesy uh, walked away with the. Women's eights, uh, band one women's eights on their side of things. But across the two divisions, we'll just rattle off some of the headlines for you. Edinburgh Uni won the open band two eights. Glasgow Uni won band three eights. We had a Scottish composite winning the open junior eights. Newcastle won the women's band one coxless fours. Really good day out for Newcastle. I could just rattle on about them for as, as the afternoon goes on, quite frankly. Across the board, though, uh, Glasgow Uni, they won open quads. We've mentioned the success of Molesy in the women's band, women band one eights, uh, but across the board as well. George Watson's College, I'll mention my old alumni, uh, winning J16 quads by over 30 seconds, a time that would have seen them win J18 quads. So shout out George Watson's College doing bits at the beginning of the season already. Very excited to see how they get on. But away from rowing, and I suppose to to, to, to music and to, to Spotify in particular. Uh, Spotify Wrapped has, of course, dropped, and I'm not going to take the time to reveal my own Spotify Wrapped with you. Camilla, Camilla will certainly not go into some of your listening numbers um, on your Spotify Wrapped. But what we wanted to do was actually share some of the statistics from uh, from our podcast because we can get some of that at the moment. As we're starting to get towards the end of 2023, a huge thank you, uh, really must go to everyone. It's been a monumental year for our podcast. We've seen a huge amount of growth and that ultimately all comes down to, to you, the listeners, uh, who have, some of you have stuck with us right from day one, but welcome to everyone who has joined us this year. We know that so many people are 
are joining you. We've seen from the statistics, 274 of you uh, have this podcast as your top podcast, which is pretty epic for us. We've done some wonderful partnerships throughout the year as well. And for those of you who joined when we did our work with Crew Connection, 7% of our listeners, you've joined when we did our episode with Scott Cockle talking all things brown rowing. So that was phenomenal. We were to- our top 10 podcast for over a 1,000 of you listening to you. And this is just on Spotify. And as I said, a huge welcome. 69% of our listeners have joined us for the first time this year in 2023. So welcome aboard. Very glad to have you on board. And Tom, it's been a real pleasure to put this podcast uh, together week after week through 2023 and very much looking forward to doing it again next year. Absolutely. Yeah, it's always affirming to see that the audience is growing. I think we, if I'm remembering correctly, 65% of our listeners actually came to the podcast in 2023, which is a pretty crazy statistic if you think about it. Um, We already had an audience in the tens of thousands last year. And we've essentially expanded on that by over 50%, which is great in 2023. I think we've done more episodes, we've covered more ground, we have engaged in more topics than ever before. We sometimes do have a habit of being a bit of a carousel on this podcast and covering similar sorts of things week in, week out. I feel like I moan about the racing calendar at least twice a month. So that that is that is where we are. People keep coming back and that's great. And I think it's it what strikes me as being really positive about this enterprise is that I very rarely have had anybody say that they don't want to come on the podcast from like athletes engaged in the sport to stewards at Henley to you know executives at World Rowing right across the width and breadth and length of of this sport nobody really doesn't want to do it and that's as much a testament to people in rowing as it is to the the kudos or the status this podcast now has in the rowing world and the community. So yeah, I think it's been a great venture. I think, you know, coming out of COVID or in during COVID, we sort of came up with it in our bedrooms and thought, oh, this would be nice, you know, keep in contact with our audience and try to make sure that we do some content while there's no racing for probably 12 months. And it's grown into its own sort of unique brand and I think unique voice. And I know a lot of people now find JRN through the podcast, which is, you know, doubly satisfying that it's almost a lead generation tool for us as much as anything else. But um but yeah, no, the statistics coming out of the wrapped were really strong, really, really strong. Yep, over over 1,800 minutes of uh, of podcasts have been created. And uh, believe us, listeners, there's been plenty more that have just been deleted and are absolutely not getting published on the airways anytime soon. Uh, we've seen stream increases increase by 107%, and that's a huge testament to all of you. So thank you so much uh, for listening, and we're looking forward to taking it forward into 2024. And speaking of the future, we've had some exciting racing to talk about. Um, We've got a few more things coming up on the horizon, uh, just down the line. Next weekend is, of course, the British Rowing Indoor Championships. Uh, I'm heading up and racing British Indoor Championships next weekend. Camilla, you're probably going to end up commentating on my race. That'll be a hoot, I'm sure. And we've got... I can't wait. I know, yeah. So brilliant athletes are heading up and competing at Brick this year. Uh, it's an exciting event. It's going to be a combination of uh, of the Fit Fest taking place at the NEC in Birmingham. So there'll be, there'll be some CrossFit stuff. There'll be, I think the rowing's going to be right next to the British Weightlifting Championship. So a really awesome multi-purpose event that's going to be going on. We've got the World Rowing Awards are getting announced soon on the 11th of December. Camilla, if you fancy giving us a heads up just now as to any of the winners... 
now's your opportunity. My lips are sealed. You have to wait until the 11th to find out. Fair enough. But um, some exciting winners, and I'm very excited for everyone else to find out. Well, as she said, that's coming out on the 11th of December, and we've got trilates. 13th of December is Cambridge's go down the championship course and the 15th of December is the turn of the dark blues from Oxford so we'll be keeping a close eye on that but that'll bring an end to today's episode it's short and sweet on Sunday the 3rd of December I've just about warmed up having sat on the start line at Rutherford and we thought we'll keep it short and sweet and we'll just leave you waiting for more to come later on down the line in December. Just a couple of episodes to go before we wrap up for 2023. But just as we wrap up today, a reminder we are sponsored by Felipe, who are, of course, one of the most instantly recognisable boat brands in the world. Since inception in 1980, they've carried crews to over 400 medals at World Championship and Olympic level and have a network of dealers across the globe. They pride themselves on an ability to custom create shells of the highest specification suitable for Olympic champions and novice athletes. Today, the running of the boatyard is undertaken by David Felipe. The yard employs 60 technicians and they produce just over 1,100 boats each year, supplying federations worldwide. Head to felipeboats.com to learn about what they can do for you. But for now, that'll bring an end to today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time at the end of the island. (laughs) 